Okay, welcome backwards to Bodhi Speak. I have here with me today a very special guest, Justin O'Connor, uh, who just released an award-winning film that he wrote, produced, directed, and starred in called The Golden Age. And this is a musical rockumentary about subversive pop star Maya O'Malley, who after a string of controversial remarks gets dropped from his music label and sets out on a spiritual pilgrimage through India in an attempt to resolve his troubled past. It's an awesome movie, especially for anyone who is going through a period of transformation and change and collapse and looking to understand what the universe, what the spirit, what the higher calling in their life is trying to bring forth from within them. And the process that one goes through, especially a creative person, a person who is seeking on the path and what entails as we go off into this like hero's journey into the unknown and it's a beautiful film that depicts the, the struggles and the breakthroughs and the challenges. And there's also quite a bit of beautiful satire throughout the film. So it's, it's wonderful to have Justin here to talk with me today about the film and inspirations behind it and the philosophy. Because it's very deep into yoga, asceticism, renunciation, uh, spiritual discipline, and all things in between and related. So Justin, great to have you here. Thank you for joining me. Thank you for having me. Excellent. So uh, I think the, the first thing that I really just want to drop in with you about is, well, it, it's, it's very coincidental on some level, although at the same time, of course not, that this film gets released right around the same time of coronavirus because we're witnessing uh, a massive global transformation and total crumbling. So it, it's kind of like a beautiful synchronization of a film where this character goes into this journey of, of things falling apart and being stripped down to the core and watching that transformation, that process occurring at the exact same time that this is happening on earth for virtually every human being. Uh, and at the same time, this is not a film that was created in the last year. This is something that I believe you've been creating over the course of a decade. So if you could just talk a little bit about your thoughts in respect to that, about how there is this wonderful synergy between what the film is trying to offer people and simultaneously that everyone is kind of going through this process right now. Yeah, yeah, definitely. First of all, thanks for the sweet intro about the film. I think you said it well. Um, and I'm, I'm really happy to be here and share this community with you. But um, just to give a little backstory on it. Um, I've been in Hollywood, Los Angeles, uh, pursuing acting for a number of years and was um, a little bit dissatisfied or wanting to speak about more substantive themes on some level. So I started playing music, released an album called Kali Yug, which is in relation to the uh, Hindus um, proclamation of this day and age, which is the Iron Age. And I was kind of struggling to find my way, I think, and wanting to speak on more substantive themes. So when it came time to doing the second album, I was trying to figure out a way to adjoin music and performance, um, talking about some themes that are closer to my heart and, um, and more specifically to address some karmic wounds from surviving a pretty tumultuous abuse of childhood. And um, so I started writing songs for the film but the songs had to fit the storyline to sort of work like a pivotal scene in a film. And I was trying to see if songs sung in real time versus lip synced, because I wanted everything to be real. Mm. could help tell the story in like a narrative way that felt like a documentary, but also felt narrative and, and kind of 
blurred the line between what's real and fake, hence the name Maya as the, the character's name. So, so that's where it started. And then just like tracking and writing the songs and making sure the songs could hold on their own, not to mention the songs being good enough to pull off that he's some famous singer songwriter at the time. And, you know, and then having to pull that, that trick out of the hat and, you know, wasn't sure if I did that in the film successfully or not, but that was like the goal of it to kind of have this satire on fame or the false ego or who we all are and, and seeing how many famous people that were all sort of on some level struggling with our identity and craving this pratishta or this fame or this being known in the world and seeing how many people were struggling with themselves who had everything that we otherwise wished we would have in our own lives were going through a very similar conundrum of you know an intensity and then wanting to self-annihilate themselves with drugs or booze or women or whatever it was mm -hmm. and, and and trying to see the higher um taste of the devotional path is the way to heal from these wounds. So it was like writing the script and, and tracking the songs and writing the songs and doing the drums and getting the songs in a decent enough shape so that when I tracked it in the film, they could combine for the album that was done in real time, as well as, um, you know, just making sure the script spoke and sold on its own. Um, and, and conveyed the idea that you buy the suspension of disbelief that this person really existed. Cause it is part, it is part documentary. It is about my life with Maya O'Malley as sort of the alter ego or my, I like to call him my um, less made up Ziggy Stardust, just, just to like give some distance between myself and the story, even though I was going full transparent about my own karmic wounds, because I needed to create a little bit of a buffer because it was very challenging and still is challenging to me that I've released this project <clears throat> bearing all. And I'm not one of those people that likes to do that really. And felt like that was the only way to combat this demon or this from my past, which is really just my own karmic junk with my own parents and something I had to go through with them. And I value their intensity the intensity of their teachings, even if they were punishing at times. And, and what's been great about the film thus far, outside of the response from it on Amazon Prime is, is really, you know, a lot of people have been coming to me ha having seen it, both devotees and Westerners alike saying, sharing with me in a, in a reflective way that I got transparent with them about my wounds. They're now sharing theirs with mine and saying, your story allowed me to heal from my wounds without my wounds getting in the way of your story. So it's been like a really sweet, like reflective healing that I think is coming through this film. And like you mentioned with coronavirus, we're all been, we've all been like, um, I think the word that I go to a lot lately is recalibrating um, because we don't have that human connection. And it's almost as if the intensity of this polluted age of Kali Yuga, which is referred to a lot in the East is there is no real enjoyment in this material world. We, we only enjoy as much as we are able to serve. And to see that even when those events in our life that debilitate us and knock us to our knees, how much we're being served by that and seeing the relative reflection of it is that, oh, woe is me and why am I going through this? That really this, these wounds that we engender are specifically designed to bring us home 
to God, Krishna, source, whatever you choose to call it, to really expand. And I think this coronavirus and being quartered off like this, for me, it's been, it's allowed me to see relationships in my life, my career, my attachments to these ideas of fame or being known or seen and heard. And, and it's been a great recalibration to sort of take like uh, a, a wider lens at what already existed, but maybe I wasn't allowing myself to see as acutely and as clearly as when things have been corded off. So uh, beyond our control. So I think a lot of people are kind of coming to terms with where they're at, what they've been through and how to navigate moving forward accordingly um, by taking inventory of that, which was always there. And now we're able to allow ourselves to see more clearly. So that's really where the project emanated from just being full transparent about my wounds in a way to individually heal myself, but collectively heal others that weren't crazy enough to make a film about it and get really honest with themselves, you know? Yeah, and I, I think that's definitely something that's needed at this point now more than ever is is transparency, is us being real and vulnerable about like, yeah, this is this is what happened to me. This is what happened in my life. But at the same time, what I like that you're doing is it's not a victimization, it's it's a creation, you know, it's you it's using it as energy to like bring forth new life, to bring forth, you know, the, the force of healing. So that, I think that's a really beautiful way to, to channel pain is to take it into a, a way that moves and inspires people and reflects back to people that this is a collective problem that's happening in the whole sphere. This is not just like, oh, you know, that one person over at, at that house, they have, they had a rough childhood or something bad happened to them growing up. This is something that this is the global problem, the cultural problem. So uh, I, I love how that, that's something that comes off with the film is this idea that uh, these struggles that we come into this realm, you could say, with are things that are not limited to just us. It's for all of us. Yeah. Uh, and I, I really like how you talk about the Kali Yuga, because that's something that my community, we, we speak about quite often. And just for some people who are listening who might not be familiar with the Kali Yuga, could you just share a little bit more about what that is? Sure, sure. And just on the note that you said, this tale of survival in terms of like, um, you know, who would we begin to be if not for these wounds that we go through? And Definitely. You know, I, think, I think it's very easy for us to get caught up in the relative pain of, 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 of what our karma incurs. But uh-huh. in relation to Kali Yuga, I mean, the belief of it is this is the Iron Age, the last installment, the last Yuga of human civilization, which lasts about a period of 432,000 years, of which we're about 5,000 years into it. And it's called the Iron Age, where you know we become attached to these things and these bodies and these desires and this need and gain for Pratishta. And it's polluted on a variety of forms. And we can see the different spins of that yarn and the different spokes in that wheel in regards to politics politics or mm-hmm. you know the downsides of social media or everyone trying to become their own name or brand versus being in communities and playing and loving and creating and serving and, and, and having more of a devotional practice and the and the lone prescription according to my teachers and gurus from the east is uh, the Maha Mantra, the Hare Krishna Mantra of chanting and salvation and that Shabad, that sound is what um, is the only salvation within this lifetime. And that's our only prescription. Whereas in different yugas, there were more austere um, rites and penances or, or traditions in which to achieve some sort of liberation because this is such a distracting age that the maha mantra is all we're required to chant. And that's what will um, bring us back 
home. And I, and I really respond to that. And I even find that there's so much confrontation within my own self to develop that practice mm-hmm. more acutely. Even today's Akadashi, which happens like every, Akadashi means like 11. It's like a, the waxing and waning of the moon, which happens today. And it's like a austere day where you um, refrain from eating certain foods as a way of um, showing surrender and reverence for your gurus. And it's like all these different things that I'm trying to ingratiate within my life. I still find that like small ego mind wanting to get in the way of it. And that's <laughs> the problem with Kali Yuga. but we're 5,000 years in a Kali Yuga, And according to the, um, the teachings, um, we're on the precipice. And I think we can see it from like the sixties and seventies where like yoga and like veganism and, you know, the, you know, the Vietnam war and all these singer songwriters talking about, you know, this greater individual and collective whole of spirituality or, or, or not subscribing to the programming of the West of sorts. We're at the precipice of what's called the golden age of Kali Yuga, which is like a Satya Yuga, which was the original Yuga, which is where it was much more spiritually, um, delineated that we're having like a golden age within this polluted age, which lasts uh-huh. for a period of like 10,000 years. And that's why I called the film, the golden age in reference to Kali Yuga and trying to just keep the arc steady and, and, and forthcoming from my first album to this is, is we're on the precipice of it. We can see it with yoga and people are becoming to question themselves outside of these permutations of social and societal programming. So this project was really about, unearthing and doing my part as a devotee as limited I am in my development or adhikar in terms of moving forward as a devotee I wanted to do my servitude or my penance to wherever I was whatever I have to sing about whatever I have to share I figured why not start with my own story of as a reflective view of saying maybe if we can address these wounds address our diet address the way we've been programmed to live that we can surrender more deeply to guru krishna god um through through this age um by following a a more delineated practice and that these wounds that we had karmically as we all do there's no no one comes through these lifetimes as a free pass some people have it as a child like i did with a tumultuous abusive childhood and other people get it later in life or a divorce or a health scare or whatever So we're at the precipice of this and we all feel it. You know, we all know that there's this vibrational shift, not only coming, but happening. And I think what we're feeling with this coronavirus and what we're seeing with a lot of the, um, you know, being courted off is I think we're, 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 we're able to recalibrate how we want to move forward. Beautiful. Yeah. I, I, I love how you explained all that. I mean, that's just that encapsulates so much of what's happening right now. And, and, I think I think one thing that I have found is that when we're able to kind of contextualize where we are within, you know, for instance, certain traditions saying that, for instance, this is an age of darkness. And there's not just one tradition that says that there's many traditions that are saying this is just like a difficult time, like within like the astrological uh, philosophy idea of like the Piscean age being just the same thing as this. So I I think that kind of helps us. at least have a sense of perspective as to why things are so chaotic in the way that they are. So uh, I, I really love how you're encapsulating uh, this, this teaching from, the, from Hinduism and, and allowing us to kind of place ourselves in, oh, this is why life is like this right now. That's excellent. Um, so uh, mm. can you just talk about your 
connection and your involvement with the Hare Krishna movement and Krishna consciousness. And before you do it, I, I, it's really funny because uh, we were supposed to do this interview yesterday, but yesterday is my birthday. And, uh, <laughs> and I went out to get Indian food and uh, I went uh, I went 45 minutes away from where I live, which is, you know, at this time period for me is like going to the other side of the world. I went to get Indian food and I ran into uh, one of the very few people that I see every now and then who lives on my street, who is a Hare Krishna devotee, because there's a Hare Krishna temple down the street from me and they just open it up. And now we're now talking with you about this. And so there's there's something in my own field synchronistically about the Hare Krishna movement. So I would just love to hear a little bit more about, you know, can you just share some about how that path has uh, what's meant to you and also how it weaves through the story of the golden age? Just anything you'd love to share about, I'd love to hear it at the moment. First of all, that's great. They had that interaction. How funny, you know, Krishna's <laughs> always, always playing these funny dances with us. Yep. And, um, and, you know, <laughs> that's so, <laughs> I love that. But um, I've also been finding that with other people that I've been connecting with, like, oh, we were just talking about the teachings and I ran into a devotee. It's like really where like a lot of this emanated from the golden age. Cause I, I won't lie to you. I've never been like a big proselytizing pound for pound religious, religious denominational guy. I've always been like kind of leery with it. And uh -huh. um, I, uh, similar to the film, I infused the story of how I got turned on to her. I met a girl who lived at the Hare Krishna temple and really fell in love with her. And it, it didn't work out, but she really um, planted the seed in my heart. Um, I believe the term is Vartma Pradarshak Guru, which is like the person who introduces you to Christian yeah. consciousness and brings you on your path. But, you know, I tried to walk away from this. And similarly to the film, like I talk about going to the temple with her for the first time and there's all these people chanting and dancing around and, you know, tambourines and chanting Hare Krishna and saris. And I'm like, where am I? You know, I felt like, <laughs> someone, like someone dosed my water. You know, I was like a right. back to a Grateful Dead show. I'm like, what's happening? <laughs> um, but, you know, the more I, I, I hung in and kind of, I started reading some of the books, uh, Srila Prabhupada, who brought the Hare Krishna movement to the West and was like the guru to uh, Allen Ginsberg, George Harrison, John Lennon to some extent, mm -hmm. and so many forward thinkers at that time and created this movement moving here penniless on a freighter ship suffering two heart attacks on his way in his seventies and created yeah. this worldwide movement just on the instruction of his own guru dev. And it's like, it was so humbling. And it's funny that you mentioned that connection that you had yesterday with that random devotee is like away from this. And it was like more devotees kept showing up and bringing me back into the fold. And I was like, I can't ignore this if I tried. So in relation to the story that I told, it was like, I can be a tricky dude. Sometimes when I know what's best for me, uh -huh. <laughs> I'll, I'll wiggle out of it as we all do sometimes. Uh, yep. Like, And I wrote this project to not allow myself to wiggle out of it, following a Western who has to confront his karmic past to make way for his devotional future with chanting more and singing more devotional themes in his music, which is what my life is now and will always be until I leave this incarnation. So even though it like took me 10 years to make this, it feels like maybe this was, maybe this was in process for like 10 lifetimes, if not more. So I'm, I'm, eternally humbled by it. And I read this book called Science of Self-Realization that Srila Prabhupada wrote, who kind of had these interviews with all these different people from the West talking about the teachings by these interviews. And they kind of unfolded like a documentary. And that kind of gave me an additional um, 
fodder for making this like a doc because I was really interested, although being an actor, I was really getting fascinated with documentaries and music biographies about musicians' lives and seeing the same arc that they all went through, through this fame mm -hmm. and drugs and then the up and down and trying to, you know, you know, like find their their purpose outside of this, you know, barrage of chaos of sorts. So, you know, I'm, I, I wrote the film because I was, I think if I didn't write it, knowing where I was headed, mm -hmm. I had to trick myself and really corner myself into the teachings because I knew that I would wiggle out of it because I can be a tricky dude like that. <laughs> I knew that this was what was best for me, even if it's uncomfortable and still is sometimes knowing that I'm not a pound for pound devotee who might live at a temple or ashram that won't wear a dhoti, or maybe I'll do kirtan sometime later in life, or maybe I won't, but like just honoring that I'm uniquely touched by these teachings and will always continue to do it and find my way according to my adhikar, like my, my stage of development as a devotee. So, you know, so on the surface of a lot of Westerners, probably think like, <laughs> probably a lot of my Western friends are like, oh, geez, he's drinking the Kool-Aid. <laughs> he's, he's really kind of off the map with all this. But it's like once the power and potency of the teachings and these gurus books were really was the biggest impetus of um, of why I kept moving forward is they just really touched my heart in a deep way. I'd gone through like reading different Buddhist books. I think we talked about Chogyam. Yeah, absolutely. Before, like he, you know, he's really cool dude and his artistry and kind of lived his life the way he wanted to live it and didn't want to denounce that. And it was different aspects of religions and different doshas that I always responded to. And like, this is great, but it was all leading me back home to this for me. I'm not saying it's for everyone, but I think on some level, we're all trying to come home to God, Krishna, guru mm -hmm. on some level, whatever, however you want to define it. And I had to corner myself to make sure that I didn't wiggle out of this, even as confronting as it has been and still is to embrace this path. Because when we get raised in the West with our TVs and our programming and all that, it's even if you know that this is what you want to do, it's still, I think, harder for us than had we been raised in a devotional movement because it's just not part of our secondhand nature. So I'm always constantly struggling with trying to surrender deeply, but um, mm -hmm. I'm just trying to follow the instructions, which is like read more of the books, do more chanting and try to surrender this false ego thing and, and, and just stay detached from the fruits of my labor and, and look at my navigation through this really chaotic age of Kali Yug um, as a way to serve, knowing that in Kali Yug, there's no real enjoyment. You know, the only enjoyment uh -huh. that we, we can really, really count on is by serving and trying to come home to the teachings that we respond to so deeply and innately and purely in our heart. And, and I'd known that it was gonna be like this for 20 years, but it was a very slow migration and still is just because there's that hankering for the old self to wanna hold on, you know? Mm -hmm. And I've gone through it, like with addiction, uh, you know, from these wounds as a child and wanting to hold on to these programmings. And it's, it's I'm still in like, sort of a holding pattern of wanting to go deeper than my programming can allow until I fully dedicate and or surrender myself more, more deeply to the teachings. But I think once these teachings or whatever dosha one responds to grab a hold of your heart, 
the caveat or the beauty of it, it's like, you know, it's just a matter of time and you're trying to just like, like really melt that false ego from wanting to be like the controller or the enjoyer realizing that God or Krishna is like the ultimate enjoyer and controller. And we're just trying to serve, you know? And I think that's been like a, that's been like the conundrum I continually go through, but it's just, it's a process of just softening each day. Yeah. And and I think, I think it's wonderful too, when we start to understand that, like, you know, for instance, the, the film that you're creating and trying to embody the teachings, it's like we can only really come to a place where we want to create those kind of things, where we want to put forth that kind of message and share those teachings. Uh, that only happens once we go through intense suffering. Otherwise, it's like there's no motivation for it because the TV is right there. We have our TV dinner. We have commercials. We have advertisements. We have, you know, we have comfort more than we could ever begin to imagine so there what's what's the motivation right so we kind of we kind of need like this pinch point this pressure to like to kick our ass and be like okay we need to just evolve out of this and step into something and create something and like bear our soul to the world which uh you know as like that scene where you are um in the desert which i love because i i i've done uh long fast before in the deserts but things similar to that in nature just being alone are. Uh, it's like, that's, that's the place you're pushed into where it's like, okay, like, who am I really? And like, what is there really inside of me? What really Mm. wants to come forth? And so it's, it's great. It's great on some level, once we're able to, you know, in retrospect, it's great. It's like, Oh, it was all that suffering and all that crap that brought me to this place where I can now share these teachings and really be in service and really help someone maybe that uh, could really use just like, a perspective about like what's happening in the earth right now what is what is life really um about like what is, what are we really searching for we're really going to find meaning in love and it's not in as you were saying fame and or substances or sex or any of these like material things hmm. so that's just I that's that. yeah this is uh <laughs> that's great no it's i'm yeah. on the same page it's like we, right we're, taught, we're taught in the west to avoid pain and go uh-huh. pleasure, pleasure but we know pleasure is temporary and we know that pleasure by satiating our desires is great but it's another impermanent thing like our bodies ourselves and the only real lasting um pleasure or love we have is through through serving and surrendering mm. and these karmic wounds that come into our purview it's like those are our greatest gifts to bring us home to god krishna guru the whole the whole nine it's like without those things who do we how do we even begin to broach our devotional path and there's like a, a character i think it's the Mahabharat, where it's like begging krishna for like lifetimes of suffering as long as she doesn't forget that connection to him uh, you know and i just love uh, that idea because i've gone through so many wounds and going out in that desert thing too like as an actor it was like i wanted to like portray something but i also wanted to go through it and experience it to like really hit the bottom so i was like literally living out in a tent and having the crew like sit in a nice comfortable house because i wanted to like know what it was like to feel that alone and really bottom out and i literally didn't you know like in the in the story in the film it's like he's out he's like fasting for like 30 days out in the desert right. starts to crack up and i i wish i could have done it 30 days full full transparency but i had to come back you know like 12 or 14 days i think and around like day wow. 10 i was like just crying sporadically throughout the day and i don't know if that's uh-huh. i don't think it's because it was like i wasn't eating but it was like there was an emotionality to like bottoming out from this pain by getting really intense by trying to strip away the artifice of whatever it was i had offered but it's like those things are such 
benedictions because I just don't even know who any of us and all the people I look up to admire, whether that's the creative avatars or my devotional avatars, we all have to go through this form of suffering. But those are the greatest gifts that we can have. We live in a culture where we're always trying to chase that next thing, but that next thing is going to yeah. disappear into the next thing, you know? Uh -huh. so, <laughs> what we think will feed us is, is poison in the next breath. So I think it's about, you know, really honoring you know, those karmic wounds that we have. And I have many with my family. It was like, like, like the film was just like, like the cliff notes version and the book, it goes way deeper because yeah. there's only so much you can tell. And people, when I, it's funny, I have a quick funny story. So I did like a test audience to show like my first cut of it. And I still have it as like a director's cut. Maybe I'll release it someday, but it's kind of too painful to watch because <laughs> I went, I went full transparency on like even way more than that's in the film. And, and the reason I pulled back from it and I'm kind of regretting, I did a little bit, but I didn't want to make long of a film as well. But at the, after the test screening, like people are coming up to me, especially some of my friends and like, dude, this is way too dark. <laughs> they're, they're, they're like, obviously, you didn't go through this. And I'm looking at them not knowing what to say and being like, uh, this is like the Cliff Notes version, dude. They didn't believe you. That's what you're saying. No, like, they were like, oh, no, they were like, dude, like, obviously that didn't happen. I mean, that this wouldn't happen to one person. I'm like, yeah. and I'm sitting there like not knowing what to say because I'm like, dude, this is my life. And uh -huh. honestly, this is kind of like the broad stroke version. But so it kind of brought up a weird thing for myself. And, and in the days since I've had to really learn how to like care for myself and adult myself. And, and, and I was doing it as a child. And I think so many artists like art is sort of a function of dysfunction where we're, Definitely. Learning, we're learning how to play as an adult because there was maybe something that got a little muddy as a child. So I'm so grateful for it all, but it's also, I've learned how to take care of myself in those situations since then in the sense that, when people are like, oh my God, you poor thing. It's like, oh, please don't, <laughs> please don't, uh, I, I don't need that projection. Like, like I appreciate your sympathies for what I went through, but it's like, I now see it as like, thank God I went through this like grave childhood because it like really allowed me to grow up and take mm -hmm. care of myself. But I, but I'm still working on it to this day of like taking self in a way that I watched others around me not being able to take care of themselves and me. And, yeah. and that's a great benefactor of bringing me to the devotional path. But it's like, it's one of those things that I think we're all struggling with on some level is like, are we that which we emanated from? Or was that just a karmic dance to bring us home to really surrender and dedicate ourselves to our devotional path? And I think that's the caveat from the golden age. And I stand Definitely. behind it in forgiveness. And at the end of the, well, I don't want to give it away, but you know, I, I, I lost touch with my father for like 25 years mm -hmm. and I reconnected with them about five years ago because I wanted to forgive him. And I just say, Hey, these things happen and let's move on. And it was a struggle getting out of my stubborn Irish Catholic alcoholic father, like to admit to any of it. But once I like, I forgive you and I love you, dad. And let's, and in the last like three or four years, and I had like three or four years with him before he passed away. And uh, we were like best friends. And just another quick caveat about karma. He and my mom were at each other's necks for years of some of it is, which is loosely touched on in the film. And it happened throughout my entire youth up until I went to college. It was just a literal war zone where we, as children felt like we were like pawns in court. It was crazy. But just to give like a quick little reflection of karma, because it's so random and so unique. When my mom passed away, which is right when I went into post-production on the film, 
she passed away on my father's birthday. Oh, wow. And when my father passed away four or five years later, he passed away on my mother's birthday. Whoa. Wow. I know. And I tell people <laughs> that. And actually somebody I told that to was like, oh, that happens sometimes. I'm like, no, 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 dude. That does not happen sometimes. <laughs> Going on each other's birthday. But it was like, it was almost like their exit in Guru and Krishna steering it. It was almost like this was such a great, moment of levity to see this funny dance and play of life and how caught up we get in the pains and the sufferings instead of seeing it as like this gorgeous dance they were just playing the stage play and i was playing it as their son and maybe i was their father or mother in another lifetime and i had to play out the reverse situation but like what a beautiful teaching that was versus that being heartbreaking you know? Oh, definitely, definitely. That that that's that's incredible. I mean, it's those moments where you really start it kind of like peer behind you, like wait a minute, oh, like, totally. what's what's really what's really happening here? Like, how much what's are we just real? getting caught up in like the the dance and the drama and the yeah, lila, the, the minutia of life versus right. like the real beautiful karmic dance of like we're all just wearing these funny hats. I'm Justin with my spiritual name. I'm singing <laughs> these devotional songs, making this film and this book. Look at me. Look what I'm doing. It's like it's just a fun play. I'm I'm now learning to have a little bit more levity and joy with it because it's all just like this funny mirage that if we can look past the minutiae of that stage curtain like you alluded to it's like it's just we're all coming together even we can look at it even in relationships romantic friendships or otherwise like we have our you know our times together and then we move away because we want to vibrate higher and then we gravitate towards those that are vibrating at that level or are in the same devotional direction or creative or business or whatever you know and it's just so it's so beautiful than looking at things as like breakups or oh i wish that didn't work out i wish that did work out and it didn't or you know whatever it's 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 just i'm starting to look at the play of life and finding more joy and levity and even when it's like harrowing because it's Mm. kind of it's just as funny and i and and just one last thing on this is i think the thing that allowed me to survive as a child, you know, and I grew up in an Irish household that was, you know, intellectual and a lot of wit is like, there's even while I was going through like the horrors of my youth, you know, and I think about it in relation to Krishna and my devotional name is Yashodanandan, which is like Krishna as a, as a young boy, who's always like playing these tricks on people. And, and it's like that levity and humor we must, we must keep. And I think sometimes my, reluctance to really embrace like spiritual communities is sometimes it seems so serious and it's like let's play <laughs> like can we have a laugh at this like it's all just so humorous even when it's like debilitating so i think keeping humor alive during this impermanent mad era we're in of cali it's like it's paramount and oh absolutely Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> that's, I, I, I love how you say that about, you know, that there's a, uh, maybe a resistance in some level of spiritual communities because they can be too serious. You know, totally. I, I, I live in a spiritual community and there's moments where it can be too serious and you're just like, wait, what, what are we all doing here again? I know. Let's laugh. Let's play. Let's crack at, at the same, at the same time, I, uh, I, I have to give a shout out to the people I live with that we, we do a good job of keeping it light. And that is definitely something that, um, I, I just appreciate you sharing that because that's that's been a, a, something that I've tried to hold in my heart really deeply from the get go. That's like we definitely need to laugh about things because it's like <laughs> it's like yeah, life is painful. I mean, and there's difficult moments, but then like there's these moments where it's like all of a sudden you're looking, you're like, why am I seeing? Why did I drive an hour away and now I'm talking to the Hari Krishna guy? 
I know, down the street. <laughs> like, what's happening? Like, you know, I'm talking to you, and then you know, just I like know. it's too funny, right? Chris is um, having a little funny dance with us, and it's like, yeah, and, and just, just what you said about your spiritual community, like, and because it's the same context with my own here, it's like I understand the intensity too, because I'm intense, sure. with it as well. oh, definitely, you have definitely. To be because you can't like glibly like gloss over it or be like oh these teachings they're cute oh it's no, like, no. like they slay <laughs> you because they're so potently like like a deep well of water like the ganges man like that just goes on and intersects our heart it's it, because it's so deep but it, along the way we've got to have some levity or else the intensity of life pound for pound that knocks us down or just the intensity of the teachings themselves or being a part of a spiritual community it's like I understand that intensity, but it's good to keep it light as well. <laughs> well, I, I think I think that's a great that's a great way to put it. Um, I, actually, right before you said the Ganges, I was thinking it's kind of like India because you know I, I spent about a, a year over there, and, and when you go to India, my experience is like you have the most extreme high or oh extreme God. suffering, and like where it's <laughs> oh like where it it's so raw. Totally. I mean, and frightening, you can't and escape it, <laughs> and unfor unforgiving too. Where oh. it's, I was on a bus one time, and I just woke up, and there was an, there had been a bus accident right next to where we were, and the whole thing was totally in flames. Everyone's luggage, I, it looked like the people got off, but who knows. Uh, souls staring in the air like yeah like jim morrison when he passed through and saw the native americans i know it's like <laughs> but I then know. you have these moments where it's like it's very funny it's just super playful and like it's it's hilarious and everyone's having a great time and people are just like they're able to find that like joy in the suffering of the whole situation where it, they're not it there is suffering there but they're not limited to that at all sure and that visceral madness of india is such a great reflective metaphor of yeah times and and i've been there too even making the film and shooting there and going on these boats or going to these different areas and people hustling us for money and almost dying on the way or being in the truck <laughs> i almost you know not to mention like carrying camera gear and the audio stuff and oh i'm gonna jump in the water but i need that wardrobe so when i shoot the reverse in the pool in la i have the same thing so there's all those conundrums in relation to india for me as well as just trying to also be there for the magnanimity of what i was meant to ingest so it was like a wearing of a lot of hats in that regard in regards to the project but i couldn't relate to you more in regards to india being like a real reflective sage barometer of, yeah. of not um allowing you to forget the madness of life well where 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 did you you were mostly in north india from what i could tell from the the film but where can you just say the locations where you filmed them? yeah for sure like vrindavan which is where the pastimes of Radha and krishna take place is really like um, where I started the test footage for the film. And that's where Srila Prabhupada talked a lot about his revered Vrindavan. So I'm like, if I'm going to go genuinely down this path or at least explore it or unearth it, uh -huh. I'm going to start there. And I had like my research at the time and like the places I wanted to go to, but I didn't know I was like a fish out of water. <laughs> and I go into it more into the book. And it's this really sweet story where I met this really young boy named Balmukund and he like was like nine years old at the time. And like, has since to this day become like a, a brother to me almost more than any family member like he's like i'm so i i love him dearly and he like you know it was like guru it was like Prabhupada and krishna like send him to like take care of me and anoint me with the land and lead me and introduce me to his family and have dinner with them and show me the places i needed to see and and i've since stayed in his life since then i just you know his daughter uh, excuse me, his uh, sister got married recently. So I sent a little contribution for their dowry. And it's like, I keep in touch with them and I, I can't wait to go back to the Dom to see him again. So Vrindavan was one of the first places I shot. And then going to some of these places, 
that were so magnanimous and it's hard to even understand the potency of them even now, let alone then. Right. You know, I remember this one place, Kusum Sarvar, which is like where the gopis and Krishna do, you know, one of their Ras Leela dances. And was, I remember when I sat down there, I just started bawling, but I wasn't sure of the intensity of the environment, the bawling because I was coming home to this devotional like path that was just unfolding or bawling because I'd find to follow my own path and had a break from the madness of my chaotic life up until then. It was like my first moment to like exhale. Right. So like, so Vrindavan, I went to nearby and that's where I started shooting. And then there were places like Varanasi, which is so intense um, up in the North near Rishikesh and Haridwar and some places in between um, Puri and uh, you know, just a variety of places in between that were kind of a spiritual places, but they're also rife with their own madness. So I, I like would see uh, images of where I wanted to capture and research it online and kind of devised it around that. And, you know, I'd have like, I'd see like a location one day and be like, okay, this could work for that bit. And I kind of be storyboarding what I saw. So it was all kind of on the fly. It felt very like, you know, it's so funny. The teachings are so like, as well as karma, it's such a sinuous, funny dance like we talked about mm -hmm. that a lot of this film, especially in relation to India, I did have a script, but there was also elements where I had to be ready to abandon whatever idea I had that I approached at a certain location or going to India itself to shoot and had to flip in a moment's notice and be like, oh, let's go for this thing, you know? So it was kind of like this fun dance to be open to catching that fish that you know like i think david lynch talks about it's called catch the fish it's oh like right right yeah just being open to this idea of like what comes be open to that then married to what it is you've already devised you think will be best what's and the I think, I think that's a great I, I think no i was just gonna say i think that's like a great metaphor for art but also for the devotional path is like not try to steer it and just allow yourself to be steered by it you know Definitely. Uh, I want. I want to interject because you said uh, there. There is a book by David Lynch called "Catching the Big Fish" or "Catching yeah, the Fish." That's it. Yeah, yeah, because yeah. I've I've read that one and that one is excellent. And whoever is listening to this, definitely check that out because that that I feel that is very much. It's like a book on what you just explained right there. This idea of like you're in the dance, you're in the flow, and there's sort of like a mythology that's unfolding about you know the muse or whatever it is that you're trying to encapsulate through your art or your expression, and there's kind of like this mysterious thread that sort of guides you somewhere. I've, am I summing that up correctly? Would you say? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And it's like, just on, just a metaphor on a spin of that yarn is like, there's this one place that I first shot in India and we went there, it's called, uh, no, no, what is it? A Vishram Ghat, which is where like uh, King, King Kamsa's house is at, um, who was like trying to kill um, Lord Krishna and the teachings. And there was this boat ride to take that morning and we when we shot that morning it was like these pink and purple hues in the sky it was like like hollywood would have paid like tens of hundreds of thousands to light it in such cinematic fashion it was just like <laughs> for us and it was like all these little magical things happen like that yet i've gone back there like five times since in my many travels back there and never been able to see it in such a cinematic beauty but it was like such a beautiful gift for uh, the time so it was like nice to just there were, there were times where I would go to a location knowing I want to get this, but like the lighting wasn't right or there were no clouds to create some cover. So it was really harsh and I had to like veer differently or I had to shoot more closer shots than wider shots that I had planned. Or like in the film, you know, there's a chanting of the Maha Mantra and it was like, 
I had to have that on like a click track. So I already had to have the song for what was going to tie into together in my head. So there was also a lot of planning that went with this that I had to adhere to and carry out. And it looked crazy me doing it because I had like a hat on and I had like an earpiece and I'm like chanting the Maha Mantra to a click track, thinking <laughs> where I think it's going to happen in this instrumental part of the song that I've already kind of devised, hoping I can loop it and it'll work. And so it was like, it was really giving, my, it's just all comes back to play. It, right. it was really giving myself the opportunity to like, I have this idea of what I want to do. I'm going to try to carry it out, but I'm not going to be so adherent to it after my get my checklist off on it. If something else presents itself that may be cooler or in addition to it. So it's really like, it was really a nice exercise and still is about trusting myself. And I, I think that's what's coming up for me a lot lately. And because I'm having this big conundrum with like social media, even though I know it helps like promote what I'm selling. It's almost like, I don't want to like be promoting or being on a computer or a screen as much sure. as I had to do just to make this film. So it's like really trusting like, Hey, in devotional art and live your life and commune with nature and find the cool people you relate to. And like, that's cool too. Like the rest, your karma will kind of dictate. So I think what I'm learning to do now, now in relation to what I was doing then with the film, which was really learning to just trust myself, trust my path and trust like Guru and Krishna are always kind of arranging the details than me trying to feel like I'm going to steer it and control it. Like as if we can even do that. You know? Right. And, and what, I, what, I, what I like what you're saying here is, is there's something about like not getting lost in the final product, but like really you know, what is the pro what is the process of it? Because this has been something that I have personally like found is extremely important where it's like, you know, you come across artists of all different types, like, whoa, that the thing they create is so inspiring. Like, I want to try to do that. And then you, you know, you get involved in it and you're like, whoa, maybe this is not really what I want to do. Oh my God. <laughs> you're like, I don't want to sit in front of it like and, and do that. Oh my God. Yeah. Uh -huh. I love that, Jerry. I'm so on the same page. And with that in mind, it's like that's been coming up a lot for me lately because I'm really confronting my ego or my hankerings for being known or name and fame through this project, which I put so much time into mm -hmm. instead of just surrendering from it. And I'm trying to find more joy in, and it's hard to do it because as an artist, you always have this idea of like, or known, right, or right. or blah, blah, blah. And it's like finding that joy in that process is a whole new bone for me. And I'm really learning to unearth that. And the film was like the first introduction to allowing myself to do that. But still, once you film it, then it's like, you got to cut it, you got to promote it, you got to yeah. announce it. And there's an element now that I'm, what I've been doing lately to stay sane. And I got to say, it's, it's really fed me. And I see myself doing a whole lot more of it um, later in life. And ironically, it was the first creative impulse, which I felt most attached to was like painting and drawing. So I've been doing that more often and definitely reserving Sundays to just do that. And the process base of it, as well as it being so autonomous with not having to have a crew or track a sure. piano and all that stuff, it's been so freeing to me. But at the same time, it's been so confronting to me because it's so antithetical to that idea of I'm going to create something and then I want to be seen for it. You know, and I'm like, totally process based is like something we're not taught. And I'm learning to like. I don't know, develop that. And I think it's an ongoing process. I think age is a really good barometer for this too. Cause as you get older, it's sort of like, I'm kind of done with that whole thing. You know, like I want right. to, I want to do what feels good. I want to commune with nature. I want to commune with people that I connected to with the teachings, with, with the process of this all versus where is this going to end up or lead to, or, you know, be received as, <laughs> you know? Yeah. I think that's beautiful. And, uh, this connects me back to something I want to ask you for since we started talking, which is uh, 
just about the teachings of the Bhagavad Gita because the Bhagavad Gita is, you know, don't be attached to the fruits of your labor. Oh so it's, God. it's like the, your work is the, is the real thing that <laughs> is know. most beneficial. It's not like, Oh, I created this thing. And everyone knows who I am and I have money and you know, blah, blah, blah. But instead it's like, no, I got to create this, this film that allowed me to drop into who I actually am as a person connected me to a higher consciousness, brought me to India, allowed me to connect with all these people and experience all these emotions. Like that was really the thing that you yoked from mm. the work. So and this is a central teaching of the Bhagavad Gita. And as I, I shared with you prior, you know, that's some, it's a, it's a, a text that my community studies very deeply. And one does not need to be specifically of a Hindu or Hare Krishna or Indian religion whatsoever to really derive teachings from it. Uh, and it's, it's transformed our world. Like Mahatma Absolutely. Gandhi read it every day. Henry David Thoreau read it every day. It's something that is like embedded into American society because ultimately Martin Luther King inspired by Mahatma Gandhi and other people of, of past resistance and these things, you know, who were inspired by the Gita. So I always try to share the Gita as much as I can with people. And I would just oh, love yeah. to hear anything that you would like to offer about like what that text has meant for you in your life and your work and your path. Yeah. Well, I mean, Arjuna in the battlefield pleading to Krishna about what to do. It's like, it's such a great metaphor for this material uh -huh. polluted age of being in the battlefield of life. And again, like you said, staying detached from the fruits of your labor and how, how that's where we kind of get caught up. And I think all these things that we're doing or creating, we're trying to surrender, um, being the creator or the enjoyer and trying to steer it and instead getting out of our own way and looking at it as the mode of seva and more process oriented so that we're not staying attached to these fruits of labor. And I'm not saying it's easy because I'm the worst at it. Like I'm like, <laughs> I am. I mean, it's like, I'm still caught in that. Like I want to be seen and known and felt and heard. And it's like that whole like conundrum. It's just such a funny wash. And just, it's funny that you bring up the Bhagavad Gita because I've been doing this um, Zoom class with, um, some devotees every Sunday and I tell my my devotee friend Madhu like he's the one who organizes it and I I tell him I go I never thought I'd say this and I'm sorry it took me a while to join this class because again you know resistance how oh, do I want to do this on Sundays and it, I tell him now I go this is the best hour of my week every week by miles and it's like we all read like different parts of it and then how it relates to our life and such and it takes off some of the intensity of reading such a large book and i kind of alluded to that in the film like the girl who i met she was so sweet but she's like i just want you to read this one book and i make a joke about it in the film like it's like yo big i mean it's like a big book the bhagavad gita so it's kind of intimidating to read uh -huh. but just um one quick caveat with the gita you know one of these senior devotees who's a sweet friend of mine he uh told me that this this devotee who did really well financially prints in all these Bhagavad Gita's and just freely distributes them to whoever wants them. And I, I'm just like, oh my God, what a great seva he's performing. Like mm -hmm. that's another road of like, you know, people who make their money and, you know, do good things with it or they go crazy with it or excess galore. It's like, wow, like when, when the abundance flows like i want to do that like that's cool and he just like hands them out so then it's like i have free copies of the gita get to give out to people and i'm like oh it's such a great like connective tissue to back to um the teachings themselves but yeah that book the srimad bhagavatam and a lot of the books by my gurus and the guru parampara line i'm sure they can align you with some of them at the nearby temple but it's like the potency and it's funny like they all say all the different gurus say the same thing 
Absolutely. But they say it all in a different way. And the way I equate it and explain it to people is they're all like these beautiful flowers and every flower smells kind of unique to the next. Mm -hmm. So they all have their own fragrance, but they're still rooted in the soil of bhakti. And so they're all saying the exact same thing about the teachings and espousing it, but they're doing it with like a different flavor or fragrance. And I think that's why I love them all uniquely um, in the way in which they express it, but also the fact that it's all hugged with the same similar um, exact bedrock of the teachings themselves. And that's what I get blown away by the most. And that's why I always latch onto these senior devotees and I moved one uh, into my building. And it's been so great because like this whole concept of sadhu sangha, which is like having, you know, more relations with um, like-minded devotees, which helps advance your cause. And had, had he not moved into my building, I would be like sunken compared to where I am because of his influence on me. And you see these older devotees that have been through it and have served for so many years and they've, they've dropped all this artifice and false egoic stuff that we've alluded to and talked about ad nauseum today because, you know, they're so steeply that it's almost like you have to drag out the potency out of them because they think of themselves, you know, lower than a blade of grass, more tolerant than a tree, like the teachings of spouse. And it's, it's so um, it's so sweet, and the Bhagavad Gita and all the books are just like I don't know. It's just they're the best books I ever read. <laughs> so I I'm just and, and to be honest with you, when I read them, and I alluded to this in the book, but even now, you know, I've got like this barrage, like a tomb of books to read. <laughs> but I can only read like when I pick them up, like a chapter or two a night tops, because they're so heavy that I need to ingest it. Right. You know Definitely. what I mean? Whereas a lot of these books for the Westerners that are written in a new age light to trying to enjoy material life more. And no knock on them, I mean, like these bestsellers help and fix and create a lot of room for people to expand. So I don't want to like discredit them, but it astounds me that my guru's books, they didn't even really want to write books. You know, they were just trying to serve their gurus. So it's like a lot of these books that I speak close to my heart are the most fantastical readings I've ever read in my life yet are largely unknown to the world. And it's, um, and I, I just think sometimes this spiritual or new age movement is, is tending to inculcate the West to wanting to learn how to enjoy their life better. And instead, um, the ones that I read are more about learning how to surrender and dedicate and kind of take the piss out of our false ego part of my expression but you know. yeah no no i mean and to, to challenge us because I, I i've always seen like the gita for instance as like it's like a manual on how to live and like transform oh, totally. yourself it's not it's not about like okay just uh you know try to just enjoy it they try just it's not there just to make you feel better it's saying yeah, like totally. he's because he's, christian is like no Arjuna, you know you have to fight you have to fight and it's like it's combat and it's difficult and there's and there's pain and there's struggling but you have to engage with the world mm. and you have to engage with the world consciously and to do i mean on a certain and, and there's a moment where like the revelation of what's happening is terrifying because oh, you're totally. like the gravity of what you're involved in but then at the at the same time because everything has like you know the, the paradoxical uh, flip side to it which is it's just a dance too so uh i love that and it, i think yeah we're so programmed to like think of our lives and our careers and our egos and our families and our kids and our desires and these bodies as we, we instead of seeing ourselves as a conduit you know like that and it's hard to do that in a society that has programmed us to live in, 
expand in a different way. Be like a king. Yeah, yeah. Oh, like get, yeah. I need to take. I need to. I you know entitlement. Entitlement is kind of the word. I need yeah. to become instead of right. I need to serve and breathe and chant and just. I don't know. The word serve always just comes. And that's the only way I'm really looking to approach my creative life hereafter, as well as in marketing the film. It's like people are going to see it or are meant to see it. And I'm kind of adjoining with that lately instead of like, oh, what was me if these hit and that, all that stuff. It's just this funny dance and trick we play with ourselves where right. I'm just trying to take a, a, a laugh at it a little bit. Well, so that, that being said, I, I'm really interested because this is this is a project that you know just took you it was 10 years that's how long the whole thing took is that right you said? Rob, yes yeah for sure okay so i mean I, I can yeah i can imagine that like where where you were when it started where you were when it ended were very different and so what i'm what i'm wondering is like what is the next creative service you know higher consciousness thing that you want to put forth because i can imagine that like you know you have a whole different perspective as what it means to be like a writer director producer musician for the film and you're probably like I mean, I'm just, I'm making an assumption here, but I'm wondering if you're feeling like, okay, there's a totally different direction I want to take in terms of my creative spiritual output for the oh world. My God. Yeah, <laughs> how much time we like, got, brother? No, I, I I don't, mean, we're just rolling. I don't know. No, happened. no, no. I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm half joking, but. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, um, it's been confronting. It felt like I birthed three three projects in one and sure. I'm, I'm dealing it feels like this is the male creative equivalent to postpartum depression like <laughs> you know what I mean it's like it's hard to know who I am and where I want to go next because I've been working and I think one of the addictions that I've uh inherited I was gonna say absolved but really inherited from my youth especially when there was such craziness is I became you know I wanted to become like a perfect child so I didn't get in trouble or slapped or whatever, uh -huh. you know? And it was like this perfectionism and this workaholism. And that served me for this project as karma and these wounds always do. But now it's like, now that I'm like gearing to the end of it, I'm gonna release the book, which will have its own push. But after this is in the rear view mirror next year, to some extent, it's like, I'm already feeling the intrepidation of like, who am I? Like, where sure. do I go? Because this is all I've done for the last 10 years plus, if not 10 lifetimes. So I'm like, where am I at next? On a more material level, or at least practical relative level, like I've been just say, to keep myself sane during the quarantine, I've been writing new songs, but it's also been hard to write those songs with the same impetus because everything seems like a struggle while we're quarantined off and such. But what mm -hmm. I'm finding about the next album, and if I'm crazy enough to make a next film, it'll be definitely more devotional. But I think you know, my, my, it's almost like I can see my life before it expires and what I'm meant to do. And I already know like my next five albums. And I think I know the next film I'm making, but it may take me the rest of my life to do all these things. And that's cool. But like what I've been working on lately, just to stay sane is writing new songs. And the exciting part for me about writing these new songs is not only does it mean like there's a light at the end of the tunnel when, when this is in the rearview mirror, but what's I'm not saying I passed the test by making the golden age, which I think is like the appetizer for the main course, which is coming next, which will be the next film if I'm crazy enough to make one, even though I think painting a more autonomous art feels like more. I think is becoming the next one is becoming far more devotional, but with a very palatable hue similar to the golden age but more devotional for the westerners who are curious 
and navigating the same. And that's what I'm most pleased with. I have like this new song called Krishna, I'm yours, where it's like, after I wrote it, I'm like, I don't know what else to write after this. Like, I know mm -hmm. I can write like, oh, a pop song about this thing or that thing. But it's like, I lay down all my cards and say like, this has happened in material life, but I'm going back to you. And it's really heartfelt and it's sweet. So I'm kind of, I think I wouldn't have been able to write what's coming next or do or create what's happening next for me as a creator, artist, devotee, had I not walked through the fire of the golden age and really hamstrung myself into staying this is your path, man. So like, it's time to embrace it. Yeah. Um, understand, like most unique people in this world are artists. It's like, I'm also realizing that I'm learning it's okay to march to the beat of my own drum to the extent that that might not affect as many as I want, but that feels what's most in like ingrating, excuse me, like ingrate, like, inc like incorporating like who I really am and marching to the beat of that drum. I may never be like a pound for pound devotee the way many others are, but I'm that's okay to accept my idiosyncrasies and I can I can create and do and do as best as I can according to my own evolvement. But the hub of it all is that devotional bedrock, the bhakti that never would have happened had I never met that girl, nor had I um, made this film because now myself to go a stage deeper as much as I can while combating these old programs be, you know what I mean? So it's like, I'm making room for it. And I wouldn't have been able to had I didn't walk through this fire as painful, but I'm now trying to give myself more space because I'm right now what I'm really having, and I'm going to just be fully transparent with you. I'm, the last three to six months have been frighteningly challenging, of course, because of what we're going to with quarantine and COVID, but I've been a workaholic for so many years of my life. And now I'm learning to step back and ingratiate that process-based living. And Jerry, I'm, it's hard. Oh yeah. You know, I mean, just, just to it's also, hard. just to, to, as with you, uh, LA a couple of years ago, uh, you know, we station and like, you know, I've, I've been traveling around for years, like nonstop myself, every ounce of energy I could into that work, you know, connecting with people and, and, studying and just like full throttle then when the quarantine happened and I, and I was stuck at home it was like all of a sudden like all this stuff came up for me that I was like whoa I didn't even know that I had not confronted this you know because I channeled so much into the work you I, I think I definitely can empathize what you're saying it's like a really fascinating thing that a lot of us have had to confront which is this idea of like no we want you to just relax stay at home we're gonna pay you just stay at home and like here's a bunch of money every month if you if you lost your work and like you know nothing it's not like the bubonic plague where all of a sudden yeah, you know if you walk outside you're just gonna die i mean yeah, I, 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 I yeah i've had multiple people in my family uh get the virus and they're like it sucks you know i can't i can't taste or smell and this and that and then and they're fine and you know, I, there's also people who many people have died from. We're not undermining, but it's been a very it's been a very interesting psychological process where it's like we're getting confronted with like there is this I like in the Matrix where it's like it's like a splinter in your mind. You know, it's like this thing where you can't just relax into the present moment. And like you said, come into this process oriented way of relating to life. And like, yeah, it is difficult. I, I mean, it, it's it's something that um, I've heard a lot of different elders talk about, my teacher, and then also uh, we had the uh, Chief Arvo Looking Horse and um, Paula Looking Horse of the Lakota, they came on for a festival our community did, and they were saying, this is difficult for everyone. Yeah. And like, I mean, 
I don't think there's necessarily a solution to it because it seems like the culture created this thing. And I want to know if you think this is true, where it's like, okay, just keep working, keep working, keep producing. And that's what's going to like release the angst. But it's like, I don't think that's really what the situation is. I mean, you agree with that? I totally do. It's like we got sent to our room and we were asked, (laughs) we got, we got, we were, we were asked to be right. You know, we're asked to be more processed. And a lot of like some of the senior devotees I've talked to are like, that the Acharyas have um, expressed um, like in the 60s and 70s that told some of this is yeah. that um, this is like the repercussions of the individual and collective karma that we've been carrying out in this polluted age from cow slaughter and whatever and etc. And whether you agree with that or be- believe it, I think we're all forcing ourselves to redefine ourselves in a way that's uncomfortable. And I remember when I did meet you, I remember meeting you and I was like, oh, this guy, Jerry, he's cool, dude. Like, he looks cool. (laughs) Yeah, I was like, wow, he's got a good vibe on him. But I remember seeing you like, you had all your stuff and all these instruments. And like, I was like, he's like a, he's like a traveling Wolverine, man. Like he's like, like that was like, you were doing the same thing I was doing with film gear, but you were like traveling around and serving people with your, your service. And I, I think it's confronting for all of us to have to like question that. And one of the things I've been doing during the quarantine that's really fed me and it always feeds me is I love doing a yoga practice and I've been doing like the Sashtanga yoga practice and helping up or trying to contribute, you know, to a monthly um, yoga studio that's kind of out of business right now because of the, the situation, but they're doing these via Zoom, which I was very resistant to do, but it's also been really wonderful because I just wake up out of bed and I go do yoga six days a week and I love it. Mm-hmm. But one of the classes that affects me so deeply, that's kind of, I think, on the same spin of what you're talking about, I just want to share with you is, is there's a restorative yoga class that happens every Friday night at five. And I laugh at the teacher and I'm like, every time I come on, I go, it's date night. And she just kind of laughs at me. And I'm like, this is like my date night for the quarantine because it's it's me going out with myself deep. <laughs> like I'm like this relaxation mode. Like we got sent to our room. And I think for me, what's happened is I'm learning how to give myself the gift of also doing nothing. Yeah. And really resting and really like like some of the restorative classes that we've been doing and if you've ever done one it's i just i'm mm-hmm. such a fan of it now and i'm like oh my god this is so good it's really like we're doing like four to eight poses over like an hour hour and a half and you're laying in each one for like five or ten minutes and the amount of calm mm. i have at the end is like this feels good and this makes more room for when i go to chanting later before bed and I'm walking differently. I'm breathing differently. And I'm like, I don't know. There's an element of being quartered off like this, that it's giving us also an opportunity to surrender and relax into ourselves, or at least bringing some kind of healing dosha or practice or breathing or breathwork or whatever people like to do. That's really allowing them to relax. And yeah. that's been a new thing for me. And for someone, especially listening that with this, like surrender into the self, like now I'm moving forward i want more of this and the more i'm creating what i want next and not like oh, what i want but like making more room for the abundance and creating and having more of the life that i imagine instead of focusing on this crap that i don't want in life which i do all the time and we all do is i'm now visualizing and writing out and seeing what my life looks like once the golden age is in the rearview mirror. And as I'm starting to map that out and take steps accordingly, restorative yoga, where I want to live, what I see my day like feeling, what it's like to be there. It's like abundance 
is coming, is like flowing in and my life is starting to feel differently. And it took me a while to like grasp that concept because it always sounds so new age hippie where it's like, well, if you just imagine yourself in these circumstances, it'll come flowing your way. And I, because I think there's an element to that, but I also think, again, it's just like the karma dance. If it's part of, you know, your karma to have like a great deal of fame or money or whatever the thing is, it's going to come whether you like it or not. And if it's not meant to come, it ain't going to come whether you work your ass off. So I'm really learning to now find space to relax. And I'm wondering if you're like in the, in, to anyone listening, like if, if they haven't done it yet, and I want to hear what you're doing in that regard, but like give yourself some time to use this being sent to our room. Mm-hmm. The, that's not the bubonic plague to really like go deep into the self in whatever capacity that way. Have you been going through any of that? Yeah. I mean, for, for me, like it was definitely like, uh, I was confronted completely in, in the same energy of like, okay, what's been driving like what's been what's been pushing forward that like need to like travel need to go need to you know and oh, yeah. there's there's Let's definitely 100 within me like this you know i was i was motivated from a place of like wanting to share like my gifts share like dharma share uh community share compassion like be in service so there's definitely there's definitely like a force that's driving that was not like you know trying to get anything but wanting sure, to get sure, to give sure. and share and connect also which i think is a big part of like what your your film is what drives Absolutely. us to create things like this is that we want to share things that have been healing and beneficial for our lives and it's like a message of hope in a lot of ways and so like that's that too is coming from but definitely there's a moment where you realize that, okay in order to really be like a vessel of uh that message in a clean way where you're really sharing that transformation that healing that empowerment and that vision like you need you yourself need to have a period of, re- of recovery and oh, yeah regeneration rest yeah, yeah and so and so like for me because i live in community with like 40 50 people what, what it's been like for me has really just been actually like uh you know dropping into like what is what's what to put it like i would say uh, more day-to-day relationships with people. Like when I was on the road, it was like, I would be mm. with different people every few days almost. And so like then, on, although we, I would connect very deeply with people through like meditation, meditation spaces, through mm-hmm. music and things like that, having like consistent relationships where they didn't necessarily need to go into something. It's hard to, it's hard to totally explain, but like when you're with people, the same people every single day, when you yeah. haven't been, been in that kind of an environment for years, there's something about that that really almost like opens the heart in a yeah. way that is really connecting and, and there's a lot of humility in the relationship in that respect. I love that. So in terms of just how I like related to other people, that's been radically transformational where it's been like, okay, this is what it's like to have the same people you're serving day in and day out. Not like, okay, I'm serving, you know, these people in this way. And then the next day there's that group of people and these group of people. And so then on a certain level, how deep can you go in the service with those people? But instead it's like, okay, not only am I serving these people, but they're serving me as well because it's a community. But then also what's interesting is that, uh, you know, then all like the ego stuff comes up where it's like this person said that to me and I said this oh. to that person. <laughs> You're like, and then you have to like, okay, I got to drama. Yeah. You got to go through the the struggle of, of like the, um, the egoic crap that comes up, but also have the discipline to continue like opening your heart to the, to the people around you. And that, that's like, you know, that can be really painful at moments for sure. Oh, totally. And I, I just want to say, God bless you because you're in a position <laughs> that, not, that not many people are in the sense that you have a community around you. Whereas in places like LA, there's nowhere to go like outside of like, mm. 
going to get a tea or a coffee or going to get groceries. I mean, it's slowly opening up a little bit, but there's not really many places to go. So even living in a building here where I have some connections with people that I see every day, I'm more fortunate than most that don't have that at their own. So I think there's like an ice. You have that and you're having this more of a sacred uh, communion with them that you don't have when you're on the go running, trying to do your Dharma and do your service, which is great. And you're connecting with people in these brief ways, which is beautiful in its own right. You're finding like that intimacy with people that you see more um, more often than not, but still like that, <laughs> that human drama shit comes up. Where it's like, <laughs> Oh yeah. What did they say? You know, I, I know, I know. But I think having these conversations and aligning, you know, the spokes for myself with like-minded fellows like you, and, you know, in, 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 I think the next wave of what's coming out of this and what I'm trying to engender more, and I hope we can continue this conversation thereafter when this is all done, but like having more community, like having yeah. people where we can see and have a laugh, like we talked about with that levity and humor about that drama that's inescapable, but like trying to even think like, like one some of the senior devotees talk to me about it a lot. Like if someone offends you or you feel like they're attacking you on some level, like one of the teachings of like of the Vaishnavas is like, you accept, you say, thank you. Mm. You know, like, like instead of getting caught up in that human drama, like this is an instrument of my karma coming back home to serve me. Instead of right. why did that person say that thing? What was me? What the fuck? That was wrong. I wouldn't have done that. You know, and, and getting caught up in this drama and having a little bit of levity and play and humor to offset it instead of getting caught in the conundrum of like the human drama, which is just simply inescapable. Yeah, definitely. And and then also too, like, you know, cause you were asking about like the, the process of just like relaxing and, and doing nothing. Uh, I mean, that, that's something that we also have to, I, I think, I feel like it's happening right now where while, you know, I, I personally am in a communal situation, but like most people, like you said, we're, we're not in that situation. So we do have to just keep going like in, 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 and like, we really do have to surrender right. to certain disciplines. And so like one, one thing that I, I love that you were, were talking about with the film, just we're, we touched on it briefly with uh, when you're in the desert and you did the fasting scene has just out of curiosity, has fasting been something for you that has been a, a consistent practice? Cause for me, fasting has always been like a very deep practice. I, I've done long fasts up to 10 days, no food, very little water. And uh, I actually finished a four day fast uh, last weekend. And uh, you know, because of the equinox, um, the tradition that I work in, we like to do fasts around the times so of the solstice and equinox as those are like these planetary shifts, you know, it's mm. seasonal shifts, planetary shifts, and they're, they're powerful moments where it's like, you know, it's beneficial to clean the nervous system. Uh, and, you know, relinquishing food is a great way to do that. And I'm just curious what, if, if that's been something that you have either um, gone deep into, or you're planning to go deep into, because I know you, in the film, the character does 30 days in the desert. Uh, and yeah. I, I just love that you brought that into the consciousness of the public too, because a lot of people who might see the movie might never think themselves like, Oh, fasting is like a spiritual practice. It's something that's like, Oh yeah, they do that. Like in the Bible or, you know, in the yeah, middle East yeah. people do that or something, but like, I don't know. I mean, America, it's like how many people necessarily are like fasting and maybe, yeah. I, I don't know if, you know, in my community, a lot of us do it, but in America, a lot of us are like Burger King and McDonald's, you know? <laughs> oh, I know, I know. And, and, and to be honest with you, just even hearing you say that, like fasting in the film, although you hearing your story with it and realizing that that's like a vera, verifiable and a veritable like 
like devotional practice of like fasting from food and people are afraid of doing it because, you know, and there's obviously precautions or you want to take it in certain contexts, but there's merits sure. to doing it. But I never thought of when infusing it into the film as its own devotional practice. I was thinking of it more like, like he's starving to let go of his own past and he has to hit rock bottom so that he can be fed, you know, by uh, the teachings or something. But I didn't even think of it in some context, like as its own devotional practice, but you're totally right. Like subconsciously, that's what I was doing now intermittent fasting i do quite frequently and i eat a very simple diet that is like probably boring to most but it's just like feeds me like with like an indian kitchery a juice a smoothie sometimes you know oatmeal but i don't like eat a lot of food and i try to stop eating at night but i have done like fast for like three five seven nine ten days and with just water and i've also done juice ones or whatever i just think it's good to give your body a break and i've i've also met people and i'm sure you heard you know the new age like breatharians or like people like right eat food and like um and i i think there's merit to that at least in in small doses just to give you know your body a break and i realize we're so we're so like overwrought and poisoned by like so many societal projections not to mention just food itself even the stuff that we think is great that it's hard to get a gauge on like how how much are we really being fed so you know, today, Akadashi is like a great day where I kind of don't eat much. And it's, it's just a nice reminder and that happens twice a month. But I think when I'm done with this project, I can see like doing like a big Panchakarma thing or like a fast or something that's like going to cleanse my body from holding on to like the energy from this for so long. But I commend you for doing those. And I think, you know, in the film, I was just trying to bottom out. I was, you know, and I think when you're trying to bottom out from all that suffering, it's like, let's just get ground zero with it. So I, I, I went through it to the extent that I could while filming it. And it was really, it's funny when you hit like, for me, it's like day five or day seven on a fast where it almost feels like, oh my God, I'm dying. But uh -huh. if you can get past that, it's like, there's like this, I don't know. The, you realize that the, what, what fasting does for me is it reflectively reveals the emotionality of food. Oh, definitely. You know, and it's like, oh, I'm not really hungry, but I feel like I should eat. And then when you're not eating, you're yeah. not thinking about so what you're like, craving to eat. That's the most interesting aspect to me. I had to the health benefits focus to what you're like doing right now. Veritable, so it's like, that's the most interesting like, aspect to me outside is, of the health benefits like your mind wants to like start conjuring up what we're going to devour next. But the, it's funny. It's like monkey mind resonates to this. It's like start what conjuring you want, up what we're going to devour you next eat but and the, then after you're done eating it you want something like else two hours later east, so yeah. it's like it's a great metaphor like for like what you want we think we have what you we eat want, and then after you're done eating it you want something else, else two hours or later you, or so yeah. it's like yeah. it's a great metaphor for like film this year once we think we have goal you know it's like there's always always something more it's never enough you know becomes the biggest independent having a gauge or a relationship with that that push and pull and that need to think that X, Y, or Z, whatever it is, a great sex, a great meal, a great drink, a great joint, um, a great mm -hmm. whatever, a great job, a great house. All these things are gonna bring us this kind of happiness that we're all deeply, truly longing for. It's just such a funny mirage. And that's where I think the levity comes back into play. But I love that you're doing the fasting. I think when I'm in the, um, the rear view mirror of this project and I see one happening just to really, really cleanse the palate before um, starting anew on the next project. Definitely, definitely. So uh, 
we're kind of, we're getting a little bit towards the end here, but I want to ask you, sure. there's two things that came to my mind. I want to ask you about, um, we had talked with, you mentioned a way while back in this conversation about Chognam Trungpa. And as Buddhism is something that's really close to me and you brought up Chognam Trungpa as someone who yeah, influenced your life. Uh, yeah. I, I, you know, we've been talking about uh, Hinduism and, and the, and the Gita and all this, and that's been, it's beautiful. I would just love to hear what you would, how Chognam Trungpa has influenced you, how Chognam Trungpa has influenced you, you know, stands out that, with his work, you know, stands out with his work that you think the listeners would be interested in. Yeah, yeah, he's a character. Yeah, yeah, he's a character. I think crazy wisdom, I think crazy wisdom or something. There's a documentary about him. I don't know. There's a documentary about him for those who are listening who haven't seen him. You got to see it. And, um, I, what I really liked about him is I, what I really liked about him the is he pound for pound and I relate to it in, pound for pound and I relate to it because I'm not like a pound for pound Hare Krishna I'm not like a pound for pound Hare Krishna devotee he was like it's like he kind um, he was like a leader um, a Rinpoche a leader a Rinpoche um, right or um, forward thinking guru of sorts to many guru of sorts community many because he was so unabashedly um embracing who he was and it didn't fit yeah. with the norms of how that type of figure is typically per uh, perceived or portrays or lives their life you know from the art to smoking to a little bit of womanizing like, like yep. he was just unabashed <laughs> about what he what he's like this is who i am and i'm not going to denounce this and the teachings are going to help feed and support my reflection of that and i remember there's one quote from the film that still strikes um accord with me and it hit me so deeply is someone asked him in a room like what do you what do you think about all the anger in the world and he goes i'm more concerned about the anger in this room <laughs> that's great I love you that. know what i mean because uh -huh. that idea uh -huh. like, you always want to project that it's all that stuff out there and we've talked about it <laughs> on the show and it's been you know and that might be a great way um you know in, as we're nearing the end of this like you know we've talked a lot about all these other permutations and really one of the big reflective things I've gotten actually recently in the last few days is like, you can't fix anyone else or you can't blame the societal ills. We're living in a polluted age. That's not going to end whether we want it to or not. All we can right. really do is alter and shift ourselves. And I think he was a great example of that as well as being like a creative entity as well as a, a devotional figure. Drum, hell or high water, despite what anybody did or didn't think of him. And there's a real great reflective hue of like that as a metaphor for maybe we should approach our own, you know, like he wasn't willing to compromise on some level because he felt so ingrained with the teachings, but also with who he was and didn't want to denounce them because it didn't fit the pound for pound structure of how figures in his shoes normally act. And that's why I've always related to him in his books in terms of unearthing that creative bone within us all about getting out of our own way and looking at this as play. You know, when, when kids are in the sandbox and not like, you know, I think I'm going to create a sandbox and I'm going to market it. And then <laughs> I'm going to put like some strains on it. And, you know, yeah. I just want you to know, I'm going to promote it this way. It's like, they're just creating like sandcastles and they want to like have fun and they want to get involved with that play. And I remember just seeing images of him in the film, like the way he was painting and just kind of, it was, it was almost like he was kind of a jazz musician in his own right. Uh -huh. And I think the Acharyas that I adhere to from the East in a, in a, you know, a similar fashion, they have like kind of this jazzy magnanimity where they're espousing the teachings acutely in their own fragrant way, like I alluded to, but they're also, they're, they're just like so uniquely mystical 
And I think Chungpa Rinpoche kind of like hit his own or struck his own chord in that way that was kind of allowed me to like embrace my own uniqueness and maybe can embrace all of our own uniqueness. Yeah, I, I, I really appreciate hearing your thoughts on, on that because just, just the way you describe that is, you know, it's making me think of just like, you know, how, how much we get caught up in, in like, oh, this is what a spiritual person does. This is what, uh, this is what an enlightened person should try to behave like and all, all this stuff. And it's, it's just totally like a con game that we put on it. And like, yeah. And it, like, this is, this is a beautiful thing about like, you know, this guy was like a revolutionary that like, was like, no, that's all a bunch of bullshit. And you can really just be like, you can embody like the power of these traditions, but at the same time, like be, unapologetically yourself and like that I, I feel like that's like the message if anything that we need at this time with where everything is so crazy where it's like we need people that are like yeah they are connected to these things but at the same time like they're not conforming to what's happening because what's happening is just is totally just bankrupt on every level and you know so much and then also like one thing I've always found really interesting which it's like you talk to people about the the mythology of the spiritual path so much of it is really just like it's just that it's just a story it's like yeah, when, when you yeah, actually yeah. come in contact with what it yeah. means to do like disciplines or fasting or be a person of devotion or service like the reality of it is very different than like oh you know like yeah, I sat under a tree and then he discovered enlightenment and then you know lived happily ever after teaching and, and walking on water and it's like no it's it's pretty different like you know you have this guy choking down Trumpa who was he was kind of on some moments an alcoholic other moments he was a womanizer but at the same time like totally a master <laughs> it's like I know I know yeah and I think I think it gives us permission to embrace that and the like yes unique yeah. weirdness of all of us because we're so programmed to think well once I achieve this I get to this thing or 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 what it looks like I think something you mentioned that I wanted to just harp on is like you know what does it look like to be successful or whatever whatever right. it is like you're what you do and what your service is and what mine is like it's like even if no one else i remember i remember a director saying this i can't remember which one but one of the great ones was saying like at the end of your film like all you really want to do is you want to be you want to wow yourself because there's going to be a million people that think this is too long or maybe you should cut this scene but if you can impress yourself like mm. all you really have at the end of the day is your own barometer and uh -huh. i think that's a great metaphor for life because i had to trust that with this film and i stand behind it 100 but it's like i had to trust myself and fight anyone that wanted to you know change it differently and i think there's there's an element of like really embracing that uniqueness of who we are even if no one else in the world gets it but us that's beautiful yeah Espe you know? especially too because it's like we all anyone who's done anything creative or put themselves out of like the norm has had to deal with this where it's like you even if you do everything perfectly like 100 percent perfectly and like by the rules or like the way it should quote unquote look someone's going to come around and say that sucks or it's crap or you did it wrong or I'll go, I'll, go one, I'll go one step further. Let's say you do it all perfectly and all of your expectations uh -huh. are met and everything that happens to come to fruition, whatever, you uh, meet your wife because of it, you gain fame or money or success, whatever that is. If you look at the people who have already achieved that, they're still going through some struggles, maybe even worse than the idea had that it never happened, A. And let's mm. imagine all those things, if you could wave a magic wand, do happen. Who knows if that's going to be your own ruin 
to the extent where they never did. And that's why it's like really trusting guru and Krishna and karma or whatever it is you believe, because that thing that you think that will, that patience are you become whatever it is, the thing you create or whoever you are, or whatever your life is becomes. What if that doesn't check all those boxes? Now you spent all that time and energy living the idea to an idea of an expectation that was met. Yeah. And what if that doesn't bring you the happiness? So that again comes back to the Gita about being like detached from the fruits of your labor and just serve and look at this play and this funny dance and just like, like you said, it's all a story. It's a mythological story within the story, no matter how like um, devotionally potent it is, we're still talking about a play, you know? Yeah. And, and, and like trying to, and like what the word that came to me when I was listening to you just now, is like trying to find like our authenticity, you know, yeah. it's like, and not, and like, cause it's, you were talking earlier about this idea, like with Hollywood and your fame attention, like the identity and like how that the identity becomes like a sickness where it's yeah. like, Oh, this is like my, my image and that, the amount of work and stress and anxiety, like or depression, whatever it is, that addiction that goes into like upholding that. And you realize like what, yeah, what a curse that. this is. And then like yeah. realizing like the authenticity, but then going like really deep, like into like the actual, like the Gita into the Hare Krishna, like you realize like there's some, the authenticity of who you are can't even be contained. It's so powerful. It's like, it's so beyond anything that you even realize. But if you seek it, like something so magical can come out of it. Oh, totally. And you, you have to trust the potency and spiritual merit of what you're doing as a, as a seva, as your dharma, as your fate. Could happen in the event that you wish and hope they do, even if they come to fruition, that might be the worst thing ever. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. So it's, we've been programmed to think the carrot's going to taste good. So we keep chasing this dangling thing. But what if the carrot's like, what if it's like rotten? <laughs> uh -huh. no, like what if it's been sitting out there for five days and then like you get sick and you die from it like you spend all that time chasing this dangling goddamn thing so i'm just trying to like look at it more as like it's kind of a ruse and some of the senior devotees who watch my film who i don't i don't even know but have hit me up like on you know social media or facebook or whatever and they're like what a great seva you did for srila Prabhupada!" like just uh -huh. know that and i was like oh that's really cool because I feel like he created the whole project. And I was just kind of acting as a conduit to it because if you paid me like a million, all right, Justin, I want you to go make the golden age part. I want to go, I want to go make the golden age, but now you got a bigger budget to go make it. Dude, there's no way I can make that thing again. It was like an expulsion of my karma creatively where I, I hit ground zero and I was working 10 hours a day, six days a week for years and years because it had to be, it, had, it was like a boil that had to be lanced. So mm. this whole idea of like even controlling it or thinking that this thing's going to bring us happiness, it's like, I'm just trusting that the spiritual potency of like acting as a conduit to something much greater than myself is the only way to move hereafter because I feel like the golden age has proved positive of that. Um, right. I, I, I really think, don't. Yeah, that's, that's beautiful. The idea that like, you know, the artist concept... Uh, my teacher, my friend Will, has talked about who's himself as an artist, where he's like, the moment the artist gets so caught up in like, oh, it's my art, and you know, they're so sucked into it, it, it's a it, that they become a joke, right? It's like, you know, the whole the whole thing is like, what was the point of it? The point of it is to bring a catharsis, not to to to, yeah, dead, to de deepen you more into like the stagnancy of yourself. It's the yeah, and just the, and just the joke of like our work, like that's you know, like, uh -huh. like what a what a ruse, like. If I'm being totally honest, you know, like, you know, when you're at a label like, with the songwriters or whatever, and being an independent artist, I keep all my publishing. But if I'm really being honest, I should like divvy up all my publishing to all those musical avatars like Dylan and the Beatles and George Harrison and, right. and 
Harry Nilsson, and the film should be divvied up between my whole group, Perumpera Light. Like they have it as much ownership of this than I do. Like this is my film, or look what I did. It's like, it's such a ruse, you know? It, the whole thing is such a joke of like getting caught up. If we see ourselves as a conduit to something much bigger than ourselves, which we are, and we know that, it's like the, the way we've been programmed takes us away from that until we say, wait a minute, wait a minute, you know? So I think that's what we're coming to terms with with this like quarantine and recalibration is how do we learn how to serve and surrender from you know the the fruits of our labors and that's it is attached and I think I think that's our that's our mission. It's not going to be easy, Jerry. We can check out. <laughs> <laughs> I like that. Pass this test each quarter, but at least we know. And I think knowing the direction is part of the journey. You know? absolutely absolutely and you i have to say even just like a huge reason i started this podcast self of this oh, stuff yeah. because like yeah. even just this conversation here as i'm listening to you share all this stuff I'm, it, it like it brings me to a place of catharsis where i'm like oh right okay like i've been sent to my room like everybody else i need to, con- <laughs> I, need to I need to contemplate more deeply like why i'm st- why we're all stuck yeah. why i'm stuck like why you know, there's this suffering in life and like, okay, this is why, because we need this is like the grist for the mill yes, to awaken us to be in true service and like awaken to a higher place. So, uh, yeah, this, I think like these conversations are really are important for us to like go out and like, and speak about like, this is what's happening to have the context of it and not just be like, oh, like shit happens because yeah, that, that, that is the situation. But at the same time, like it happens for uh, yeah, an evolutionary like purpose highest, yeah, yeah. Your highest devotional purpose if you can see it right and this has made my day talking about this and it's funny like just talking about these topics is what i'm finding from this um quarantine is you know there's been a lot of relationships i've dropped in my life because it's allowed me to see was that ever really holding me in the way it was yeah. like i've been like shedding a lot in my life with, on a variety of fronts and what I realized just having this conversation with you today, which it seems like it's brought us both elation and hopefully anybody tuning in is it's like, we're really getting honest about what we need. Sure. And this kind of, this kind of dialogue, the, like this recalibration or quarantine, what I'm realizing, I'm starving today. You know, like I, I can't, I can't, I can't go back to my old ways. And I think that's probably maybe what my others, including ourselves is like, this was like a gut, this whole experience was like a gut check. Like, do you want to go back to the normal life, which it once was, was that ever normal? It's like, we're like making room for like what we need. And like this kind of banter and dialogue and philosophy and discussion is what feeds me. And I need daily, (laughs) if not hourly. So this really feeds me. And I hope anybody who's listening to this, if you're feeling the same, like, support Jerry. If you want to check out the film, it's on Amazon prime. It's called the golden age. You can listen to the soundtrack. And I humbly believe it will absolve you of your karmic wounds that you've gone through in a similar friend. Uh, my purpose is to heal people. That wounded mm-hmm. healer archetype is what I respond to deeply. And I'm insane enough to put all my cards up. <laughs> really transparent about it, but I felt there was no way out. That was my last this is like my last soiree with my karma that stifled me throughout my life. And I know there's a lot of people out there listening that have been wounded and hurt and they don't know what to do and they don't know how to their way out of it. And if you watch the golden age, I guarantee you, you'll get a glimpse of an option and a way to look at it as a way to, this is being done for you and, and, and forgiveness oh. and really adjoining, you know, your devotional path is really the only way out of this karmic mess and have a laugh at it along the way. <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> you know? So that I, I think that's, that's a beautiful note to end on. And I just yeah. to, to, 
you know, just one thing I want to say with what you said there is this is happening not to me, but for me. That's the oh, that that shift in perspective, I think, is all we really need. So uh Justin, thank you for coming on. Thank you for sharing all this. Thank you for bearing your soul through art, through music, through film, through dialogue. I feel like this is really what is needed at this moment. And I'm oh, man. back I'm, at you, dude. I can't say enough. Uh, I, I'm, I'm a big fan of you. I hope we stay connected to all your listeners out there. Like, let's use this opportunity to go deep, you know, and thank you for serving me and, and giving me a platform to speak my mind. And this has been the highlight of my day, my mile. So. All right, man. Well, thank you, brother. And we'll be in touch. And absolutely. All right. To everyone out there, thank you for tuning in to Bodhi Speak. And uh, keep searching. The unexamined life is not worth living. So keep searching deep, keep digging deep, and enjoy being sent to your room right now. It's not happening to you, it's happening for you. Much love. Peace. <laughs>